Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Essential 11, brought to you by Acton Academy and Acton Academy Placer. Uh, today's guest is one of those guys where you look at him and you go, oh, okay, you're 26 and you're already uh, brighter and more accomplished than 99% of human beings ever will be. And I love that. Um, absolutely love the way this guy's brain works. He's a gentleman by the name of Charlie Kirk. Uh, he's an activist. He is uh, founder and president of Turning Point USA and Turning Point Action. He's, a, uh, he's an author, uh, just a ridiculously intelligent human being. And uh, we jump into all things, uh, talking about the election, we do get back to kind of uh, some of the essential 11 questions, though, and really focusing on young people. And um, so the, the election and Trump and all of that gets included in there, as well as social media and uh, all kinds of relevant points, man. I really, really enjoyed this conversation uh, with the great and powerful Mr. Charlie Kirk. And we are good to go with, I don't know if we're supposed to say legendary, the man, the myth, the legend. I don't know where we start, Charlie, but it's exciting to have you here. Mr. Charlie Kirk, thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, God bless you. I appreciate that. Oh, thank man. You. It, is, it is absolutely a pleasure. And we've got, you know, I sent over the, the questions from the young people before, and we always like to do kind of an X-Men origin story, you know, so to speak, before we <laughs> jump in. You actually get a bonus question today, too, because we had Dave on yesterday. I forgot to ask. We had Dennis on Friday. I forgot to ask him for a question, but Dave had a special question for you, too. So we'll, uh, we'll end up. Dave has a question he for me. He had a question for you. Yes. I said, what well, do you want Dave, me to ask Dave Charlie is one of my all-time favorite people. Such a He's awesome. He is, man. He is such a such a good dude. So um, we'll get into all that. But if for some reason somebody has been living under a rock, doesn't know who Charlie Kirk is and, and what you're doing, you mind giving a, a quick origin story for us? Sure. Uh, grew up in Chicago, suburbs of Chicago, I should say. Went to Wheeling High School. Um, I guess growing up, I guess this could be more applicable to your audience, mm-hmm. students, uh, was very involved in sports in high school. Always loved politics, but and that came third or fourth or fifth. I was over-involved in high school. Um, Eagle Scout uh, obviously did school, but school never came first. It really didn't. It was always about extracurriculars. It was always about uh, things on the outside. And then I wanted to go to West Point, didn't get in, ended up being the best thing that never happened to me. That rejection actually put me on a very unusual path. Um, I got more involved in politics than ever my senior year in high school, the spring year in my senior year in high school. So Football and basketball was everything to me. Mm. And then being Eagle Scout and just always, you know, trying to be involved in the community. And then what happened is as soon as basketball ended, when I was a senior in high school, for the first time in my life, I had nothing to do. It was weird. Uh, Because, you know, you're always prepping for the next season, right? right? right. AAU, you're doing 11 on 11, you're doing something. And so then I had all this free time in March, April, and May. And I said, I'm just going to get involved in politics and see what happens. And I found I had a little bit of a talent for speaking, a deep passion for it. And uh, so then I persuaded my parents to give me a gap year and I never went to college. And so now Turning Point USA is now on 2000 high school and college campuses across the country, well over 160 people on staff, well over a $30 million operating budget, We're reaching tens of millions of people on social media through all of our channels. Um, I also do two podcasts a day, soon to be a national radio show starting on October 5th. Um, absent the shutdown, I'm speaking about 300 times a year. Um, I'm making up for that because I'm doing more speeches than ever sure. during this election season. I also run Turning Point Action, our political vehicle, um, which is uh, focused on getting the president reelected. Yeah. Uh, that is our 501c4 organization. And we have over 350 students for Trump chapters. Also wrote a book this year, then praise God, it got on the New York Times bestseller list. 
the MAGA Doctrine. Uh, that was my third book. So yeah, keeping busy. And uh, again, I, I never forget where I came from, suburbs of Chicago, hardworking, good people yep. that are constantly living under oppressive Democrat rule. So that is something that uh, we know it. all too well. I love it, man. Man after my own heart. Yeah, never, never hurting for something to do, man. Always out making some stuff happen. So, so good. And you said you never went to co- No, you go to college campuses all the time. And, yeah, and I've been I, to more colleges than anyone else. That's what I was going to say. You absolutely have, man. So we worked on, um, you know, I'm sure you saw the film, No Safe Spaces, right? And, and um, great so film. a great film, man. And we got to work on that. I'm was, in it briefly. Uh, yes, yeah. you are. Absolutely. So we did. Um, and when we did a showing of it here, we, we uh, went to William Jessup University and and um, that's where Dave uh, first came out to, to work with us and speak with us. And, um, you know, it was just a pleasure working with, with all those guys. And even just, I was telling, I was telling them, yeah, yesterday, even just promoting our event. We're going to a very conservative, small Christian college to do this event, very small scale event. We just wanted to play the movie. We had some some teens that were doing some debates on some real world issues to show that it is possible to have conversation without saying, well, I hate you now because we disagree, right? We just put mm-hmm. this in even just promoting the event. I mean, the the banning, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, I mean, we were shut down, shut down immediately. So, but I love what you do on these college campuses. Talk about about um, what what you do when you, when you get to these campuses. Talk about what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, look. So there's two ways to look at it. We also we have first and foremost what we do as Turning Point USA, starting college chapters, empowering young leaders mm-hmm. to actually have a free market, pro American voice on campus, free speech voice. Then when I visit the campus, which is not different, it's similar, but uh, I shouldn't say it's not opposite. It's different but similar. It's a better way to phrase it. Then when I go to campus, it's bedlam. I mean, it's you know the I haven't done it since March. My last campus visit was in March when um, I went to Florida State University and we shut down the whole country and I was supposed to be doing a lot of campus visits this fall, but obviously that didn't materialize. But in a typical campus kind of season or, you know, college calendar, I am going campus to campus um, and taking questions from anybody and any perspective, all of it filmed. And it's not the magic of just what happens on campus. It's the 1 billion plus views that we have on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, where I have these discussions and these interactions with these very radical beliefs. And that's really, look, I'm a big believer, not just in freedom of speech, but, you know, Aristotle said that what makes us different than any other creature on earth is our capacity to speak. Mm -hmm. And so we are the speaking beings. And there really are only two ways to govern humans. And that is through talking and speaking or through force. You actually think about it, it's that, and I hate to be that kind of binary about it, but that's just true. And so I truly believe as soon as we stop talking, we're gonna start destroying ourselves. And we're already starting to see that in our country. And I, I say this all the time, I say, I wish I had more liberals to talk to. They will not talk to me, they won't. And they say, well, I'll talk to you privately. I say, yeah, that's fine, I guess. It's not really for me though. I want other people to see the discussion, right? right? And so that's why I want it to be filmed. Not because I want to, you know, own you or whatever. Maybe you'll own me. It's I actually want the millions of people to see that. It's actually kind of like, well, I'll meet with you, you know, and we'll have lunch. Okay, it's kind of a waste of time. I I know where you're coming from. Maybe I'll learn something, but I can have equally that kind of interaction there. So that's kind of what I try to do when I go to a college campus. I try to demand discourse. Yeah. Tell me why I'm wrong. Maybe you'll change my mind. Maybe you'll bring up a good point. I'll right. be the first one to admit it. And I think that we are flirting with civilizational destruction because we have stopped talking. 
And I hate to be this partisan about it, but the left does not want to have a conversation in this country. They don't. Right. And you differentiate as well as Dennis does too, between liberal and left. Yes. Right? And I just can't find, I, there's just very few liberals out there anymore. Right. They, just, they don't exist. Yep. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, there's um, Alan Dershowitz. Well, shoot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, and James like, Lindsay and Peter Bogosian. I mean, I, I try to make point of them, but there's so few of them. And I make the same distinction Dennis makes. Sure. Yes. And, and one of the key things that you said is that you go in there and you, you attempt civil discourse and what you see over and over and over again is that is easier said than done, right? You're at the universities, the place that is supposed to be for this very type thing, to be able to challenge our ideas, to be able to have these conversations, to be able to have civil discourse, to look at you and go, okay, Charlie, you know what? I understand what you think. I'm going to eloquently speak to what it is that I believe. And you know what? If you and I come across uh, and understand each other's point of view, but we come to a different conclusion, then okay. And then we can still walk away. We can still be okay. That is not the situation. That is not what you no. find. Um, and it's not even the the end result of now we can agree to disagree. What you're finding is most people just don't want to engage, period. Well, no, they look at speech as a mechanism that empowers a white supremacist Western construct. Right. So going back to kind of what I said, there are only two ways to govern people, by speaking and talking or by force. Yep. They want to govern us by force. They do not want to have discussion. Discussion bothers them. And I hate to be this blunt about it. And people used to not believe me when I say this. I think it's actually becoming more clear now that they do not want to have a marketplace of ideas. They do not want to have people that are able to engage and have this kind of back and forth. And what happens when you have speech, when you have a dialectic of any form whatsoever, when you have a dialogue, well, then you actually kind of have a thing called nuance. You have to. It's a, it, it, you actually it's inevitably will have the death of tribalism. Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that is how you're able to get away from force. Well, I have a bigger sword. Well, it doesn't matter because make a good argument. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you stop that, which was what's happening, you go to the streets. It's just that simple. Yep. There is no middle bridge. There isn't an intermediary step. There right. isn't a transitional process. It is speaking or force. Yep. And so, and then you're seeing us devolve into that right now, which is why I think that colleges have really become a threat to our country. Yeah. And I know a lot of young people are watching this yeah. in high school, and I'm happy to talk about that more. Yeah. But- Parents are completely ill-equipped to understand the landscape of higher education. I, I agree. I agree. Do you think? And we talk about it. So you know, I've come from from the academic standpoint, and I worked before going in. You know, before owning Acton, I was in. Uh, I was a public school teacher, public school administrator, private school teacher, private school administrators at Stanford before that, and so I understand the landscape of K through twelve and and higher ed, mm-hmm. right? And so we've always spoken about it from uh, the the destruction of college in terms of it being necessary over. Overall, we've always spoken of it from from that academic standpoint, and kind of this whole COVID situation is really kind of this emperor has no clothes moment. But yeah. when you add the indoctrination that is going That's... on, not only is it not necessarily relevant, that it's inherently dangerous. Um, and, and that's what you're speaking to, I think. And then parents don't always don't always realize yeah. that that is the case. Dennis said, "I'd rather have my kid go four years and be intoxicated than indoctrinated." Totally. I mean, I, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. I wouldn't send anyone I love to college right yep. now. It's <laughs> that simple. 100%. And I, I will go through the yep. multi-step reasons for that. Number one is the obvious financial cost. Sure. You ready to pay a debt for the rest of your life? What is that debt for? Right. Exactly. What skill are you going to get? 59% of kids that go to college graduate, 41% drop out. 41% drop out. We right. have way too many kids going to college. Yep. Way too many. Out of the kids that graduate, 44%, according to the New York Federal Reserve, 
are employed in jobs that don't require a college degree, 44%. Mm. So they go find jobs, the ones that do find jobs, they go be waitresses or waitresses, mm-hmm. Starbucks or executive assistants. Mm-hmm. None of that stuff requires college degrees. Right. So what is your skill? Yep. That, that's a, not a diploma, not what are you studying? What can you do yep. that someone who doesn't have a degree do? Not what, not what kind of backwards critical race theory can you regurgitate? What is your skill? Now, if you're studying engineering, you have a skill. Right. You can do something that I cannot do. When I sit down with someone who's doing pre-med, they're developing a skill. They are. Right. When someone's getting a law degree, they are developing a skill. And I think that's the way we have to look at the right. college is not, not accreditation, but skill. Yeah, skill acquisition. Meaning after four years, mm-hmm. I can sit in a room and they're like, well, I can code and I can't. Right. So that now you have a reason of why you went there. Right. So number one is the financial. Number two, you said it really well, is the, is the indoctrination. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to learn to hate the country. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether you are realize it or not, if, you, if you're a parent out there and you care about your kid and you don't want them to believe in an atheistic, secular, hedonistic, leftist worldview, then you better be very careful sending your child to school. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it, so that's number two, and there really is no, there, there's a couple of ways that you can mediate against it. Um, there's better schools than not. But, and the third thing is I actually believe it creates bad people. I actually mm-hmm. think it creates people that blames other people for your problems. I believe that college seniors are far more immature than high school seniors. They have no capacity to withstand suffering. Generally, you gain a lot of weight, literally, when you go to college. Mm-hmm. You have no understanding of how to incur, encounter suffering or opposition. Uh, you actually become a weaker person. Your dreams and your aspirations go away. An 18-year-old has way more entrepreneurial grit or endeavor than a 22-year-old that goes to college. What are we doing? Yeah, yep. This is one of the most self- defeating patterns a rich, wealthy, benevolent, creative, and moral country could go under. So that's why my next book I'm writing, I'm probably going to publish it. Uh, I, I just, I'm going through it right now. It could be a series of essays or not is don't go the case against going to college. And oh, it's intentionally provocative. Yeah. And I, I have not heard a parent give me a good reason. If your kid is not studying engineering law, biochemistry or pre-med, why your kids should go to college. I've not heard a good reason. Yeah. And I encourage parents to, you can email me anytime at freedom at charliekirk.com. I've talked to probably 20 parents in the last two weeks. They say, well, my kid's in college. I'll never forget this. If I could say this story, it was in San Diego, really wonderful woman. And I was probably a little more direct than I should have been. But I said, why are they, why are they going to that school? And they said, well, because it's a good school. I said, no, no, no. Why are they in school? Why are they in college? I said, well, they get a degree. I said, I know, but why? And they said, I don't know. That's what you have to do. Yeah. I said, wait a second. Your kid is borrowing. And they told me that their kid's $70,000 in debt. Right. I said, your kid's $70,000 in debt and you can't give me a really good reason for that. Right. If your kid went and took out a $70,000 loan to go buy a Maserati, you would think that they were nuts. That's exactly right. So what is the reason you're doing this? That's exactly. Well, right. to get a job. Well, it doesn't help you get a job. It doesn't. Most employers actually look for kids that don't mm-hmm. have degrees right now. Yep. Yeah, it's because they're wanting to check off 
the box is no, it's to also show the parents. It. The parents' the, ego gets involved far too that, often. Exactly. The parents, you're exactly right. Where it's, I've got to show that I'm a good parent. It's all about the parents. Right? I show that I'm a good parent because my kid went to this school. I've, I've had those same conversations and I had a wonderful, wonderful human being not too long ago. And I kind of went down that same rabbit hole. I said, okay, why, why, why does your son need to go? Why does he need to go? Why does he need to go? This is on the heels of the 18 year old getting offered a career level position with a national company that had never hired another person that did not have a college degree. He was the first one because somebody here said, oh my gosh, this kid is amazing coming out of acting. This kid is a, a phenomenal individual. He's going to tear this up. I have got to have this kid. So, it, I mean, it yeah. is it is literally, and only people with degrees had been hired for this. They took this kid and said, we got to have him. And the mom's like, oh, but you got to go to college. And when I broke down the why, 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 I eventually said, so he can get a good job. I said, what, these, what is it that he's got? What is it that he's got right here? You know, I mean, that's exactly it. It's that cultural he has what you you go to college for that's it without it is, the debt it yeah. is a hypnotic possession yeah that some of these yeah. parents have yeah, yeah. and I, look i come from the suburbs of chicago mm -hmm. if you don't go to college you are told by everyone you're going to be a failure right. i get it yep. i came from that world yep. okay i came from a world where teachers were paid one hundred forty-five thousand dollars a year yeah okay i came from a world where everyone had a laptop given out you know every single year where right. you, had, you know you just an abundantly wealthy school district right right i i understand the mindset Every kid that I went to high school with that was on the teetering brink of college or not, right. they are failures. Yep. Yep. College destroyed them. They're overweight. They are no ambition. They have no skill. They have tens of thousands yep. of dollars into debt. I do not see any college success stories anymore. It's, I don't. Man, and it's so interesting too. One of the questions that we always ask that the youth had given us to ask, right, is, is around – what you would want to see from a young person if they wanted to come work for you. And I'm going to ask you that question too. But what is so interesting, we are 70 plus episodes in and we have had everybody from, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and Patrick Bett and David to, I mean, we've had some of these. He swears too much. Right. For the Gary. <laughs> Wait, what? Gary swears? I didn't know that. So yeah, right. It's so uh, dumb. It's, it's just, uh, <laughs> it actually comes across as a stupid person. I mean, no, it is. He turns and a lot of people That's a great advice. He turns no, a lot of Young people, people never, there is no reason to swear. There isn't. Yep. Stop doing it. Yep. Um, but, but and anyway, and, that's a different but you're argument right. no, for you're a different right. time. And and the the uh, you know doing the keynotes these last five six years, right? I've worked with three over three hundred companies uh, around the world, and working with the CEOs, the hiring managers. I ask everybody. I have never, never once on an episode here, not in a keynote presentation, not had that hiring manager had that CEO say, "Well, they've got to have a. I need to see that college degree." Never once. Never once have I gotten that as the answer. Uh, and I love that you are putting out, uh, you know, I, I hope you do publish that book, uh, The Education of Millionaires. Have you have you read that, Michael no. Ellsberg? Um, no. uh, you know, very goes into the ROI and the, the opportunity cost of, of no, it's, it's very, very well done. I'm going to uh, be a little bit more blunt, I think, in my in my book. But yeah, I think, look, what it. do I look for in young people? We hire, we have 160 people yes, that work do. for us. Yeah, I just hired a high schooler out of Thousand Oaks, California, and his father is my pastor, Pastor Rob McCoy. Yeah. And all of his friends w went to college. And I said, you're great. Come work for me. And his parents were phenomenal. I know them. They're some of my dearest friends. Sure. And they were so game for it. God bless them. But the problem was the culture. Everyone was like, why aren't you going to college? Well, now he has his own apartment, no debt. Yep. He's earning a good wage. Yep. He's doing a great job because I saw it immediately. I said, and here's what I look for. Ethics. Yeah. Are you going to tell the truth? Do you have integrity? Do you have a moral compass? Are you going to try to scam? 
cheat, steal, gossip. That is a non-starter. By the way, college encourages you to do that stuff, just so you know. Mm -hmm. College encourages you to be a bad person. The cheating industry, the hookup culture, all that stuff. College, it is an indulgence culture of the worst order. And then finally, hunger. I, I, I cannot, anyone that goes to college, basically, um, and there's exceptions. We have some great people that have gone to college sure. that work for us. Um, they have no hunger or drive. Yep. It is amazing. The, as soon as the day is over, I have to go home. Really? Like, that's weird. We, I work 21 hour days sometimes. That's fine. Whatever. You know, yep. that, that's what you do. And so, um, outwork the person next to you. And that's, I tell people all the time, I do not have the most God given talent. I yeah. don't, yeah. but I will outwork you. Yep. And I have, yep. and I'll continue. I will put more hours in. I will give more speeches. I will do more podcasts. And I have. We do two a day, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. I will speak at more places. I will travel more days. I will beat you, not because I'm more talented, but I'm going to put more hours in the gym, right? right. I'm going to research more. Yep. I'm going to study more. I'm going to make more phone calls. And that's the, the most refreshing, amazing thing for me has been understanding our country can still reward that. That's right. That's exactly And so right. anyone out there that says you can't succeed, You've convinced yourself of that. That's right. And break yourself free of all the sort of different things that people have told you. If you outwork everyone, and I mean really, and by the way, it's incredibly hard at times yeah. to only get four hours of sleep, yep. to never see your family or friends. And that's the other thing I, I, I tell people, and I'm happy to give more advice to young people, um, but the, there's a cost to everything in that's life, right. everything you do. There's a cost to doing drugs, there's a cost to drinking and all that. If you want to succeed, you should probably stop or limit all of that. That's Seriously. Right. Yeah. Or else you're just going to be a meat. And if you want to be mediocre, there's a whole world for you out there. That's right. But if you have dreams or aspirations, then you have to, you have to really commit yourself. To I it. love that. And the discipline part of going through and pushing forward and the things that you don't necessarily want to do too. What, what does that potentially look for, uh, look like for you right now? Is there anything, you know, in your push as you're writing these books, as you're getting out and speaking, is there anything that you're having to kind of discipline yourself around that you're not like, I don't necessarily yeah. love this part right now, but I got to get this done. I, I have a great, I have a great opportunity in my life right now because I actually enjoy almost everything that I get to do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And it wasn't that case for the first seven years of building this. Yeah. I used to have to crisscross the country and raise every dollar right. to employ every person here at Turning Point to keep our 1 million and then 5 million and then 10 million, then $20 million budget alive with no capital reserves and no debt. I have to do less of that. I still raise a lot of money. Sure. Um, that's the thing I actually enjoy the least, yeah. but I still do that to yep. keep everything going at Turning Point USA, but we have a phenomenal capital raising team that does all that. Um, I, the thing I actually enjoy, I, I, the thing that's the, I have to continue to commit myself to do is shutting my phone off every night yeah. and doing two hours of learning every evening, yeah. every evening, whether it be reading, whether it be watching YouTube lectures, whether it be listening to podcasts, personal growth. Yeah, every the best investment you can make is in yourself. Yep. And whether it be like, for example, last night I watched an hour and a half lecture on the formation of the US Constitution. Mm. And for some people, they consider that to be just boring. I actually love it. Yeah. So I'm that's what I said. I'm actually in a place in my life where I actually enjoy what is good for me. For you. Yeah. And so yeah. and so the, of course there's things I don't like. The thing I hate the most is the travel. It really, really yes, plays sir. a wear and tear on me. Yes, sir. Because you're in Arizona, you got to be in Charlotte, you yep. got to be in Maine, you got to be in Chicago, yeah. you have to wear the mask, you got to get up at 4 a.m. And I'm trying to do less of that, right. but that's just baked into the equation. Yep. So to answer your question, it 
the travel, it, the travel is still something I have to do. Right. I have to be physically in front of people. It is a very important thing. I never want to lose that. So if I had to rank the thing I enjoy the least, it would be that. It'd be that. That makes sense. Yeah, I remember getting an email uh, a couple of years ago from American Airlines saying, you're in the top 2% of all of our travelers. And I'm again, that's, I don't take that as a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah the travel does. It, it I have, down I have 915,000 miles in the last five years. Yep, there you go. I can't. No mileage multipliers, <laughs> just American. Man. Um, See, and you talked about turnoff. We had a very interesting conversation with our launch pad a couple of days ago. Launch pad is what we call our high school students here on campus. Um, and we watched the film. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix called, I think it's something, Social Dilemma, something along those yeah, lines. Have you seen yeah. that? Okay. Any, yeah, any, I deleted Netflix, but I got it from a friend. So okay. I've seen it. Okay. So what do you, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about that? As far as the social media, the grasp that it has on the young people, I mean, it's a tool, right? And it's a tool can be used for good, can be used for bad. What do you think about that grasp and how it plays on, on kind of the self-confidence of the younger people right now? I'm glad that you, you've asked that question. Uh, parents are to blame here. Kids shouldn't have smartphones until they're 17 or 18 years old. It's that simple. And any parent who gives your kid a smartphone before that age is actively participating in the destruction of your child. It's mm. that simple. And there's no excuse for it. Buy your kid a jitterbug if you need a phone to stay in touch with them. Guess what? I went to high school from 2008 to 2012. I had a phone that could just make calls right. and send. Guess what? I was not allowed to send more than 10 text messages a day or else I was charged for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And looking back, I went to middle school without a cell phone. It was awesome. Yeah. Yep. It was so cool. Yep. We had, we had friendships. Yeah. We didn't look at our phone all day long. Yeah. We looked at each other as human beings. I am so thankful, truly, mm -hmm. I mean this, to mm -hmm. God and my parents that I lived through in America that didn't have this garbage all the time in your, in your pocket. Yep. And so, look, the movie Social Dilemma is phenomenal for 75% of it. The last 25% really, I think, kind of took a path I didn't like. It was mm. too political, and I don't think it landed the plane. The first 75% was some of the best documentary I've ever seen, especially where they show those three people that were actively trying to push forward addictive material, material to right. young people. Right. And I, I tell high school students this all the time, and they rarely act on it. Do what I did. Delete all your apps. Yep. I don't have Instagram, Twitter or Facebook on my phone. I don't. I have a team that manages it for me. Sure. I'm pretty lucky with sure. that. I only have one of those apps and that's YouTube because YouTube out of all of the apps out there can has, has the greatest upside for good and the least downside for bad. I truly believe that. Mm. That YouTube, if you just endlessly go on YouTube, I, I of course you could go down rabbit holes sure. and go down weird things, sure. but it's the least social of all the apps, right? It's the most front facing of a library of choices right. that can be used for good. Whereas Facebook, there's very little utility, I think, that can make you a better person, unless you're following my Facebook page uh, or some of our Facebook pages at Turning Point, <laughs> right? So I just, I tell young people, delete the apps. You'll be a happier person. What about Snapchat? What about TikTok? Just delete it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Yeah. And it's, so that's, that's my opinion. And, and parents, stop giving your kids smartphones. They don't need them. Yeah. Stop being your kid's friend. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, am, I am stunned. And I hate to just be so blunt in this conversation, but that's just kind of how I am. Yeah. I'm stunned at how terrible parents are in America. I mean, my parents were strict. Yeah. And all my kids' parents, my friends' parents were strict too. I don't know what has happened in the water or the air the last six years where these parents want to be their kids' friends, but it's, it's just really destructive. My parents said, no, you don't get a phone until you're 16 years old. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Done. There it is. You go to you go to football practice. Yeah. And then you go to you know what we used to do to have 
friends over, used to call them on the landline at their parents' home. That's right. That's right. And have to talk to the it parent. It was actually too. really cool. And have to talk to the parent. And I remember parents that I, yes, I remember. That's exactly right. right. And I remember calling and I learned it very early on. I mean, I was probably in middle school. I remember calling somebody and saying, hi. And I was polite. I was a nice kid. You know, it was like, hi, is Justin there? And the dad said, well, Justin's here, but you didn't identify yourself. You just called my home. So I'm going to hang up. You're going to call back and try again. And he hung up the phone. And so I had to call back and go, hi, Mr. Yoder. This is Matt Baudreau. I'm looking for Justin. Is he available, please? Right? And he says, oh, yeah, Matt, good to hear from you. Yeah, let me go get Justin from you. I never, like, I never forgot it. And it's, you know, it's, it is stuck. Um, it, it's right. so interesting that you're bringing all that up, too. So I've, the, in, the, in the keynotes that I've done, it's been, uh, a lot of it's been in a generational context, right? And I've worked with a, a, an organization called the Center for Generational Kinetics. It's a group in Austin, Texas. It's a group of PhDs. And all they do is they study generational trends, generational habits, how those habits play out in various industries, how they play out in various parts of the world. Um, very interesting, very interesting stuff. And so a lot of what we end up talking about are, are the trends, you know, people say, oh, young people, they're just, they're all entitled in their mess. I'm gonna go, okay, yeah, there's a good chunk that that is absolutely true. Here's the why. Parenting, cheap access to, right. to uh, cheap technology, you know, and the, the social media. I mean, those are two of the biggest drivers for that. Two of the biggest drivers for the reason that we have that. And then what's happened is we can see physiological responses from young people who have been forced to be away from their phone for three That's hours right. or more. Physiological response. They actually start to get stressed oh, out. 100%. Right? That's right. Unreal. No, I love yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I just, um, parents have, have created their children to be cyborgs. Yeah, yeah. And- and parents themselves are cyborgs. They're on their phone all the time too. Right. And so, and you know what's amazing Triple is that down. you go look at all these major app developers that have actually been in the weeds yeah. of Pinterest and they don't allow their kids to use these apps. That's right. They know how dangerous they are. That's right. They know how addictive they are. Again, the only app that I think a young person should probably have is YouTube. I am, I am a support. I, I actually can't stand Google and YouTube, but what I mean by that is right. a video whatever the video processor is right. of your choosing that has a library of information, right? right? And I think that if your tools are there to make you a wiser, smarter person, then so be it. Yep. By the way, I'm censored by YouTube and all that stuff all the time. Oh, so I'm don't sure. get me. Absolutely. I'm, and I think these tech companies should basically all be broken up and regulated and all that. So yeah. happy to talk about that too. Yeah. However, what I'm trying to say though, is if you yeah. have an app that is there for the purpose of you being a better person or learning something, then so be it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, especially. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Unreal. What a garbage app that is. <laughs> yeah. Even, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see a whole lot of, don't see a whole lot of upside on that whatsoever. There's no could utility. Not, yeah. Could not, could not agree more. Um, before we get to even like the, the legacy quote and, and um, where we can go and how to support and all that good stuff, I want to make sure, you know, uh, that we get to what, what, Dave says. So I asked Dave yesterday. I said, "Okay, we got you know Tito Ortiz, you got um, Charlie Kirk, a couple guys that we're going to talk to that I that I know you know and you're in support of. What would you like us to ask them?" And and Dave said, "You know what? Just ask Charlie. Do you have any issues with Donald Trump at all? Anything on the downside of Charlie? We ended up he ended up kind of going down this. Uh, you know, we were talking about the election, talking about everything coming up, talking about uh, you know the the um, the." amazing thing that is Joe Biden uh, and and just how we can understand how some people may not like Donald Trump. We can't really understand how anybody would be a, a huge fan of Biden, um, you know, and but anything that you see is kind of a downside on, on Trump or you're not in support. Well, look, I, he's a friend of mine. So I be, I, I'm careful, in, you know, sure. criticizing friends publicly. Sure. It's just uh, kind 100%. of part of my, yep. my moral yep. 
I appreciate know, that. Whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, so, but I, I will say, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this, what I've said publicly and what I've said privately, I think the more that he focuses on his big picture vision for the country, the better. I think that's where he's at his best. Mm-hmm. When he views himself from the totality of history of where he really is trying to keep this country as a country that preserves the freedom of speech, right. that preserves the middle-class work ethic, that is trying to challenge institutions governmentally, civically, culturally, academically, and corporately. I think that's where he's at his best. Yeah. I think when he's on defense or trying to defend something he said in the past, I don't think that's where he's at. I don't think that he's a good defensive player. Yeah. And so I, I think that the more he focuses on where he wants to bring our country to a position of promise, I think he's very, I think he's the best offensive player in American political history. Um, and look, I, I also make a habit of not ever saying anything negative about him because there's a whole industry that does that professionally. Sure. Right. And I, I agree with him so much on so many things. Yep. I just, I, I hate to look at it this politically, sure. but wh- why, why would I want to indulge in a pathological movement where all they do is criticize the man all day long? Right. I kind of say, this guy's been really good to me personally. Right. He's a friend of mine. He's been great to our country. He goes through so much duress. I kind of feel I want to help the guy out. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's kind of why I know I like that's that. the way I'm going to answer. And, that. I, and so. I like that from a moral standground too. I mean, that's the real, so, you know, my wife and I don't agree on everything all the time, but that is the person I am closest with, right? I am not going to, to say something negative about her in front of other people. I'm going to support her. I'm going to talk about all the good things and be her biggest advocate. Um, and I just think that is, you know, again, moral stand and you should do that to your, with your friends as well. You know, I, I appreciate yeah. that very much. I have a lot of respect for that. Um, obviously have a lot of respect for, for the way you, you know, you are focused on being the hardest worker in the room, the nicest person in the room, having those two things. We teach our, you know, uh, my own children, we teach the the students here at Acton that those are two of the biggest things that are going to propel you into going, you know, where it is that you want to go. And and those are things that you have absolute control over. And I love that because you represent that, right? Uh, Well, please. Yeah. And just to really quick, where you want to go, a lot of people don't know that. That's a very important thing. Some people have no certainty on their direction. And so get your aim right, make your goals sharp and clear, mm-hmm. articulate them, yep. write them down, pray over them, uh, be unafraid to ask people about them, uh, always be challenging. Yep. We are aiming creatures. Uh, we are people that need a direction. Right. When you're directionalist, you'll go to chaos. So all those things are helpful once you know exactly where you want to go. That's right. No, could not, could not say it better. So obviously big, big supporter. One of the, my favorite things about you is your ability to eloquently speak to what it is that, that you believe, why you believe it. You bring in the facts, you bring in the logic. I, I appreciate that from any orator. Um, you know, and I would appreciate it from somebody who I don't agree with either. If that was something that was, you know, I just don't see it as much there. And, and, um, so I very much appreciate that. So let's say you have, you know, this is the, the last legacy question. God reaches down to you today and says, Hey, Charlie, we're wrapping it up, man. You're not going to get to see what happens in November. I'll tell you when you get up here. Um, but tomorrow, September 26, Charlie, that's it, man. So we're going to put you in the ground. We got the headstone there. You get to leave us with a final thought, uh, you know, a final comment, whether that's yours, whether that's somebody else's. What do you want on that legacy headstone for Charlie Kirk? Jeez, why? That's a, that's a tough, that's a that's tough, a tough one. thing to answer. <laughs> um, well, like the legacy of my life, I guess it would be he, he outworked he outworked everyone for, for what he believed in. And that would be, you know, uh, that, that's something I really, I really want to be known for. Um, and also that, you know, he loved Jesus, he loved God and he loved his country. 
Um, and I, I also say just kind of what I would want other people to remember is to be thankful, not angry that you live in America. It's just, so good. we are so unbelievably lucky to live here. And I have to go watch these self-entitled brats be filled with venom all day long, trying to convince me that what my ancestors bled and fought for is an awful place. Right. And I try my best not to get angry over that. Yep. I truly do. I mean, I can, the Kirks came here in 1620. You know, we fought in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the War of 1812, World War I, World War II. And I, I, I'm not a better person because of that. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But this country was not a mistake. It's not. It, it was deliberately formed where the words of the Constitution are just as applicable today as they were back then. Mm -hmm. Where this idea that we were founded on slavery is a bitter, pernicious lie. The abolition of slavery, of new slaves coming into America, it's in the Constitution, the first draft. It's there. Read it. Most people that say that have never even read the U.S. Constitution. Oh. And so George Washington said no new slaves in the Northwest Territories. Jefferson in 1807, who owned slaves himself, said no new slaves in America. Vermont abolished slavery in 1777. We were, we were founded on freedom, not on slavery. The human norm has always been owning other human beings. We were the first time to ever stop that. But I have to listen to this ridiculous diatribe and so, yeah, that's, I think that if America falls, the world is going to go into a place of darkness and chaos. And I believe that my role in my life and whatever I get to do is to try to continue to be, have, get people to be thankful that we live here, to live better lives, yep. to make good choices. Because my goodness, are we lucky? And we're, we should just be so kissing true. the ground. So true. Instead, we're burning it everything to the ground. So thankful, man. Thankful for you standing in the gap and, and, and having this voice. And I know there's a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of negativity that gets thrown your way because of that too. And, and that's just, uh, that's just part of the game of doing the right thing, right? You're always going to have that. So very thankful for you standing in the gap for that, Thank man. You. It's great. So if we got some young people listening, where would you like them to go? Whether, and we're going to link everything in the notes, but where would yeah. you have them go? Go to turning point, go to your well, uh, page, uh, your yeah, books. If they, uh, anyone listening to this, will give out 10 signed copies to my book, freedom at charliekirk.com. Awesome. Randomly, if you guys subscribe to the Charlie Kirk show, you just got to show that you're subscribed. Awesome. They can all email me anytime at freedom at charliekirk.com and you can go to charliekirk.com or tpusa.com if you want to get involved with Turning Point USA. So. Awesome, man. So thankful, man. So thankful. Some powerful words Great. this morning, my brother. Thank you. Speak to you soon. There you go, guys. Check them out. Charlie Kirk 1776 uh, on Instagram, but check out Turning Point. Go. Uh, grab any of his books, check out his videos on YouTube, his uh, conversations on college campuses, or sometimes lack thereof because people refuse to engage with them are, are just second to none. So, um, but again, thank you for listening. Please let people know that you are listening to it. Feel free to share, review anything you have not done, but I'm so grateful for every single one of you. Have a great day, guys. See ya.